Section 19b of The Upper Room Being a Few Truths for the Times by J.C. Ryle. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tim Cote. General Counsels to Young Men. In the third place, I wish to give some general counsels to young men. For one thing, try to get a clear view of the evil of sin. Young men, if you did but know what sin is and what sin has done, you would not think it strange that I exhort you as I do. You do not see it in its true colors. Your eyes are naturally blind to its guilt and danger, and hence you cannot understand what makes me so anxious about you. Oh, let not the devil succeed in persuading you that sin is a small matter. Think for a moment what the Bible says about sin, how it dwells naturally in the heart of every man and woman alive. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 20 and Romans 3 verse 23 how it defiles our thoughts, words, and actions, and that continually. Genesis 6, verse 5, and Matthew 15, verse 19. How it renders us all guilty and abominable in the sight of a holy God. Isaiah 64, verse 6, and Habakkuk 1, verse 13. How it leaves us utterly without hope of salvation if we look to ourselves. Psalm 143, verse 2, and Romans 3, verse 20. How its fruit in this world is shame, and its wages in the world to come, death. Romans 6, verses 21 through 23. Think calmly of all this. I tell you this day it is not more sad to be dying of consumption and not to know it than it is to be a living man and not know it. Think what an awful change sin has worked on all our natures. Man is no longer what he was when God formed him out of the dust of the ground. He came out of God's hand upright and sinless. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 29 In the day of his creation he was, like everything else, very good. Genesis 1 verse 31 And what is man now? A fallen creature a ruin, a being that shows the marks of corruption all over, his heart like Nebuchadnezzar, degraded and earthly, looking down and not up, his affections like a household in disorder, calling no man master, all extravagance and confusion, his understanding like a lamp flickering in the socket, impotent to guide him, not knowing good from evil, his will like a rudderless ship, tossed to and fro by every desire, and constant only in choosing any way rather than God's. Alas, what a wreck is man compared to what he might have been. Well may we understand such figures being used as blindness, deafness, disease, sleep, death, when the Spirit has to give us a picture of man as he is. And man as he is, remember, was so made by sin. Think, too, what it has cost to make atonement for sin, and to provide a pardon and forgiveness for sinners. God's own Son must come into the world and take upon Him our nature in order to pay the price of our redemption and deliver us from the curse of a broken law. 
he who was in the beginning with the father and by whom all things were made must suffer for sin the just for the unjust must die the death of a malefactor before the way to heaven can be laid open to any soul see the lord jesus christ despised and rejected of men scourged mocked and insulted behold him bleeding on the cross of calvary hear him crying in agony my god my god why hast thou forsaken me mark how the sun was darkened and the rocks rent at the sight and then consider young men what must be the evil and guilt of sin think also what sin has done already upon the earth think how it cast adam and eve out of eden brought the flood upon the old world caused fire to come down on sodom and gomorrah drowned pharaoh and his host in the red sea destroyed the seven wicked nations of canaan scattered the twelve tribes of israel over the face of the globe sin alone did all this think moreover of all the misery and sorrow that sin has caused and is causing at this very day pain disease and death strifes quarrels and divisions envy jealousy and malice deceit fraud and cheating violence oppression and robbery selfishness unkindness and ingratitude all these are the fruits of sin sin is the parent of them all sin it is that has so marred and spoiled the face of god's creation young men consider these things and you will not wonder that we preach as we do surely if you did but think of them you would break with sin forever will you play with poison will you sport with hell will you take fire in your hand will you harbor your deadliest enemy in your bosom will you go on living as if it mattered nothing whether your own sins were forgiven or not whether sin had dominion over you or you over sin oh awake to a sense of sin's sinfulness and danger remember the words of solomon fools none but fools make a mock at sin proverbs 14 verse 9 hear then the request that i make of you this day pray that god would teach you the real evil of sin as you would have your soul saved arise and pray for another thing seek to become acquainted with our lord jesus christ this is indeed the principal thing in religion this is the cornerstone of christianity till you know this my warnings and advice will be useless and your endeavors whatever they may be will be in vain a watch without a mainspring is not more unserviceable than is religion without christ but let me not be misunderstood it is not the mere knowing christ's name that i mean it is the knowing his mercy grace and power the knowing of him not by the hearing of the ear but by the experience of your hearts I want you to know him by faith. I want you, as Paul says, to know the power of his resurrection, being made conformable unto his death. Philippians 3, verse 10. I want you to be able to say of him, He is my peace and my strength, my life and my consolation, my physician and my shepherd, my Savior and my God. Why do I make such a point of this? I do it because in Christ alone, all fullness dwells 
Colossians 1, verse 19. Because in Him alone there is full supply of all that we require for the necessities of our souls. Of ourselves we are all poor, empty creatures, empty of righteousness and peace, empty of strength and comfort, empty of courage and patience, empty of power to stand or go on or make progress in this evil world. It is in Christ alone that all these things are to be found. Grace, peace, wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. It is just in proportion as we live upon Him that we are strong Christians. It is only when self is nothing and Christ is all our confidence. It is then only that we shall do great exploits. Then only are we armed for the battle of life and shall overcome. Then only are we prepared for the journey of life and shall get forward. To live on Christ is to draw all from Christ. To do all in the strength of Christ, to be ever looking unto Christ, this is the true secret of spiritual prosperity. I can do all things, says Paul, through Christ which strengtheneth me. Philippians 4 verse 13 Young men, I set before you Jesus Christ this day as the treasury of your souls, and I invite you to begin by going to him if you would so run as to obtain. Let this be your first step. Go to Christ. Do you want to consult friends? He is the best friend, a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Proverbs 18 verse 24 Do you feel unworthy because of your sins? Fear not, his blood cleanseth us from all sin. He says, Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Isaiah 1 verse 18 Do you feel weak and unable to follow him? Fear not, he will give you power to become sons of God. He will give you the Holy Ghost to dwell in you and seal you for his own. A new heart will he give you, and a new spirit will he put within you. Are you troubled or beset with peculiar infirmities? Fear not, there is no evil spirit that Jesus cannot cast out. There is no disease of soul that he cannot heal. Do you feel doubts and fears? Cast them aside. Come unto me, he says. Him that cometh I will in no wise cast out. He knows well the heart of a young man. He knows your trials and your temptations, your difficulties and your foes. In the days of his flesh he was like yourselves, a young man at Nazareth. He knows by experience a young man's mind. He can be touched with the feeling of your infirmities, for he suffered himself being tempted. Surely you will be without excuse if you turn away from such a Savior and friend as this. Hear the request I make of you this day. If you love life, seek to become acquainted with Jesus Christ. For another thing, never forget that nothing is so important as your soul. Your soul is eternal. It will live forever. The world and all that it contains shall pass away. Firm, solid, beautiful, well-ordered as it is, the world shall come to an end. The earth and the works that are therein shall be burned up. 2 Peter 3, verse 10. The works of statesmen, writers, painters, architects are all short-lived. Your soul 
will outlive them all. The angel's voice shall proclaim one day that time shall be no longer. Revelation 10, verse 6. But that shall never be said of your souls. Try, I beseech you, to realize the fact that your soul is the one thing worth living for. It is the part of you which ought always to be first considered. No place, no employment is good for you which injures your soul. No friend, no companion deserves your confidence who makes light of your soul's concerns. The man who hurts your person, your property, your character, does you but temporary harm. He is the true enemy who contrives to damage your soul. Think for a moment what you were sent into the world for. Not merely to eat and drink and indulge the desires of the flesh. Not merely to dress out your body and follow its lusts whithersoever they may lead you. Not merely to work and sleep and laugh and talk and enjoy yourselves and think of nothing but time. No, you were meant for something higher and better than this. You were placed here to train for eternity. Your body was only intended to be a house for your immortal spirit. It is flying in the face of God's purposes to do as many do, to make the soul a servant to the body, and not the body a servant to the soul. The Assembly's larger catechism begins with this admirable question and answer. What is the chief and highest end of man? To glorify God and fully to enjoy Him forever. Young men, God is no respecter of persons. He regards no man's coat or purse or rank or position. He sees not with man's eyes. The poorest saint that ever died in a workhouse is nobler in his sight than the richest sinner that ever died in a palace. God does not look at riches, titles, learning, beauty, or anything of the kind. One thing only, one thing only God looks at. One thing only God does look at, and that is the immortal soul. He measures all men by one standard, one measure, one test, one criterion, and that is the state of their souls. Do not forget this. Keep in view morning, noon, and night the interests of your soul. Rise up each day desiring that it may prosper. Lie down each evening inquiring of yourself whether it has really got on. Remember Zeuxis, the great painter of old. When men asked him why he labored so intensely and took such extreme pains with every picture, his simple answer was, I paint for eternity. Do not be ashamed to be like him. Set your immortal soul before your mind's eye, and when men ask you why you live as you do, answer them in his spirit, I live for my soul. Believe me, the day is fast coming when the soul will be the one thing men will think of, and the only question of importance will be this, is my soul lost or saved? For another thing, remember it is possible to be a young man and yet to serve God. I fear the snares that Satan lays for you on this point. I fear lest he succeed in filling your minds with the vain notion that to be a true Christian in youth is impossible. I have seen many carried away by this delusion. I have heard it said, You are requiring impossibilities in expecting so much religion from young people. Youth 
is no time for seriousness. Our desires are strong, and it was never intended that we should keep them under as you wish us to do. God meant us to enjoy ourselves. There will be time enough for religion by and by. And this kind of talk is only too much encouraged by the world. The world is only too ready to wink at youthful sins. The world appears to think it a matter of course that young men must sow their wild oats. The world seems to take it for granted young people must be irreligious and that it is not possible for them to follow Christ. Young men, I will ask you this simple question. Where will you find anything of all this in the Word of God? Where is the chapter or verse in the Bible which will support this talking and reasoning of the world? Does not the Bible speak to old and young alike without distinction? Is not sin sin whether committed at the age of twenty or fifty? Will it form the slightest excuse in the day of judgment to say, I know I sinned, but then I was young? Show your common sense, I beg of you, by giving up such vain excuses. You are responsible and accountable to God from the very moment that you know right and wrong. I know well there are many difficulties in a young man's way. I allow it fully. But there are always difficulties in the way of doing right. The path to heaven is always narrow, whether it be young or old. There are difficulties, but God will give you grace to overcome them. God is no hard master. He will not, like Pharaoh, require you to make bricks without straw. He will take care the path of plain duty is never impossible. He never laid commands on man which he would not give man power to perform. There are difficulties, but many a young man has overcome them hitherto, and so may you. Moses was a young man of like passions with yourselves, but see what is said of him in Scripture. By faith Moses, when he was come to age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. Hebrews 11 verses 24 through 26. Daniel was a young man when he began to serve God in Babylon. He was surrounded by temptations of every kind. He had few with him and many against him. Yet Daniel's life was so blameless and consistent that even his enemies could find no fault in him, except concerning the law of his God. Daniel 6, verse 5. And these are not solitary cases. There is a cloud of witnesses whom I could name. Time would fail me if I were to tell you of young Isaac, young Joseph, young Joshua, young Samuel, young David, young Solomon, young Abijah, young Obadiah, young Josiah, young Timothy. These were not angels, but men with hearts naturally like your own. They too had obstacles to contend with, lusts to mortify, trials to endure, hard places to fill like any of yourselves. But young as they were, they all found it possible to serve God. Will they not all rise in judgment and condemn you if you persist in saying it cannot be done? Young men, try to serve God. Resist the devil when he whispers it is impossible. Try, and the Lord God of the promises will give you strength in the trying. He loves to meet those who struggle to come to him, 
and he will meet you and give you the power that you feel you need. Be like the man whom Bunyan's pilgrim saw in the interpreter's house. Go forward boldly, saying, Set down my name. Those words of our Lord are true, though I often hear them repeated by heartless and unfeeling tongues. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Matthew 7, verse 7. Difficulties which seemed like mountains shall melt away like snow in spring. Obstacles which seemed like giants in the mist of distance shall dwindle into nothing when you fairly face them. The lion in the way which you fear shall prove to be chained. If men believed the promises more, they would never be afraid of duties. But remember that little word I press upon you, and when Satan says, You cannot be a Christian while you are young, answer him, Get thee behind me, Satan. By God's help, I will try. For another thing, determine as long as you live to make the Bible your guide and advisor. The Bible is God's merciful provision for sinful man's soul, the map by which he must steer his course if he would attain eternal life. All we need to know in order to make us peaceful, holy, or happy is there richly contained. If a young man would know how to begin life well, let him hear what David says. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. Psalm 119, verse 9. Young men, I charge you to make a habit of reading the Bible, and not to let the habit be broken. Let not the laughter of companions, let not the bad customs of the family you may live in, let none of these things prevent your doing it. Determine that you will not only have a Bible, but also make time to read it too. Suffer no man to persuade you that it is only a book for Sunday school children and old women. It is the book from which King David got wisdom and understanding. It is the book which young Timothy knew from his childhood. Never be ashamed of reading it. Do not despise the word. Proverbs 13, verse 13. Read it with prayer for the Spirit's grace to make you understand it. Bishop Beveridge says well, A man may as soon read the letter of Scripture without eyes as understand the Spirit of it without grace. Read it reverently as the Word of God, not of man, believing implicitly that what it approves is right and what it condemns is wrong. Be very sure that every doctrine which will not stand the test of Scripture is false. This will keep you from being tossed to and fro and carried about by the dangerous opinions of these latter days. Be very sure that every practice in your life which is contrary to Scripture is sinful and must be given up. This will settle many a question of conscience and cut the knot of many a doubt. Remember how differently two kings of Judah read the Word of God? Jehoiakim read it and at once cut the writing to pieces and burned it on the fire. Jeremiah 36, verse 23. And why? Because his heart rebelled against it, and he was resolved not to obey. Josiah read it, and at once rent his clothes, and cried mightily to the Lord. Second Chronicles 34, verse 19. And why? Because his heart was tender and obedient. 
he was ready to do anything which Scripture showed him was his duty. Oh, that you may follow the last of these two, and not the first. And read it regularly. This is the only way to become mighty in the Scriptures. A hasty glance at the Bible now and then does little good. At that rate, you will never become familiar with its treasures or feel the sword of the Spirit fitted to your hand in the hour of conflict. But get your mind stored with Scripture by diligent reading, and you will soon discover its value and power. Texts will rise up in your hearts in the moment of temptation. Commands will suggest themselves in seasons of doubt. Promises will come across your thoughts in the time of discouragement, and thus you will experience the truth of David's words. Thy word have I hid in mine heart, that I might not sin against thee. Psalm 119, verse 11. And of Solomon's words, When thou goest, it shall lead thee, when thou sleepest, it shall keep thee, and when thou awakest, it shall talk with thee. Proverbs 6, verse 22. I dwell on these things more because this is an age of reading. Of making many books there seems no end, though few of them are really profitable. There seems a rage for cheap printing and publishing. Newspapers of every sort abound, and the tone of some which have the widest circulation tells badly for the taste of the age. Amidst the flood of dangerous reading, I plead for my master's book. I call upon you not to forget the book of the soul. Let not newspapers, novels, and romances be read while the prophets and apostles are despised. Let not the exciting and licentious swallow up your attention while the edifying and the sanctifying can find no place in your mind. Young men, give the Bible the honor do it every day you live. Whatever you read, read that first. And beware of bad books that are plenty in this day. Take heed what you read. I suspect there is more harm done to souls in this way than most people have an idea is possible. Value all books in proportion as they are agreeable to Scripture. Those that are nearest to it are the best, and those that are farthest from it and most contrary to it, the worst. For another thing, never make an intimate friend of anyone who is not a friend of God. Understand me, I do not speak of acquaintances. I do not mean that you ought to have nothing to do with any but true Christians. To take such a line is neither possible nor desirable in this world. Christianity requires no man to be uncourteous. But I do advise you to be very careful in your choice of friends. Do not open all your heart to a man merely because he is clever, agreeable, good-natured, high-spirited, and kind. These things are all very well in their way, but they are not everything. Never be satisfied with the friendship of anyone who will not be useful to your soul. Believe me, the importance of this advice cannot be overrated. There is no telling the harm that is done by associating with godless companions and friends. The devil has few better helps in ruining a man's soul. Grant him this help, and he cares little for all the armor with which you may be armed against him. Good education early habits of morality, sermons, books, regular homes, letters of parents, all, he knows well, will avail you little if you will only cling to ungodly friends. You may resist many open temptations, refuse many plain snares, but once take up a bad companion, 
and he is content. That awful chapter which describes Amnon's wicked conduct about Tamar almost begins with these words. But Amnon had a friend, a very subtle man. Second Samuel 13, verse 3 You must recollect we are all creatures of imitation. Precept may teach us, but it is example that draws us. There is that in us all, that we are always disposed to catch the ways of those with whom we live, and the more we like them, the stronger does the disposition grow. Without our being aware of it, they influence our tastes and opinions. We gradually give up what they dislike and take up what they like in order to become more close friends with them. And worst of all, we catch their ways in things that are wrong far quicker than in things that are right. Health, unhappily, is not contagious, but disease is. It is far more easy to catch a chill than to impart a glow, and to make each other's religion dwindle away than grow and prosper. Young men, I ask you to lay these things to heart. Before you let anyone become your constant companion, before you get into the habit of telling him everything and going to him in all your troubles and all your pleasures, before you do this, just think of what I have been saying. Ask yourself, will this be a useful friendship to me or not? Evil communications do indeed corrupt good manners. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33. I wish that text were written in hearts as often as it is in copybooks. Good friends are among our greatest blessings. They may keep us back from much evil, quicken us in our course, speak a word in season, draw us upward and draw us on. But a bad friend is a positive misfortune, a weight continually dragging us down and chaining us to earth. Keep company with an irreligious man, and it is more than probable you will in the end become like him. That is the general consequence of all friendships. The good go down to the bad, and the bad do not come up to the good. Even a stone will give way before a continual dropping. The world's proverb is only too correct. Clothes and company tell true tales about character. Show me who a man lives with, says the Spaniards, and I will show you what he is. I dwell the more upon this point because it has more to do with your prospects in life than at first sight appears. If you ever marry, it is more than probable you will choose a wife among the connections of your friends. If Jehoshaphat's son, Jehoram, had not formed a friendship with Ahab's family, he would most likely not have married Ahab's daughter. And who can estimate the importance of a right choice in marriage? It is a step which, according to the old saying, either makes a man or mars him. Your happiness in both lives may depend on it. Your wife must either help your soul or harm it. There is no medium. She will either fan the flame of religion in your heart or throw cold water upon it and make it burn low. She will either be wings or fetters, a rein or a spur to your Christianity, according to her character. He that findeth a good wife doth indeed find a good thing. But if you have the least wish to find one, be very careful how you choose your friends. Do you ask me what kind of friends you shall choose? Choose friends who will benefit your soul, friends whom you can really respect, friends whom you would like to have near you on your deathbed, 
friends who love the Bible and are not afraid to speak to you about it. Friends such as you will not be ashamed of owning at the coming of Christ and the day of judgment. Follow the example that David sets you. He says, I am a companion of all them that fear thee, and of them that keep thy precepts. Psalm 119, verse 63. Remember the words of Solomon. He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. Proverbs 13, verse 20. But depend on it. Bad company in the life that now is, is the sure way to procure worse company in the life to come. Special Rules for Young Men In the last place, I will set down some particular rules of conduct which I strongly advise all young men to follow. For one thing, resolve at once, by God's help, to break off every known sin, however small. Look within each one of you. Examine your own hearts. Do you see there any habit or custom which you know to be wrong in the sight of God? If you do, delay not a moment in attacking it. Resolve at once to lay it aside. Nothing darkens the eyes of the mind so much and deadens the conscience so surely as an allowed sin. It may be a little one, but it is not the less dangerous for all that. A small leak will sink a great ship, and a small spark will kindle a great fire, and a little allowed sin in like manner will ruin an immortal soul. Take my advice and never spare a little sin. Israel was commanded to slay every Canaanite, both great and small. Act on the same principle and show no mercy to little sins. Well says the book of Canticles, Take us the foxes, the little foxes, that spoil the vines. Canticles 2, verse 15. Be sure, no wicked man ever meant to be so wicked at his first beginnings. But he began with allowing himself some little transgression, and that led on to something greater, and that in time produced something greater still, and thus he became the miserable being that he now is. When Hazael heard from Elisha of the horrible acts that he would one day do, he said with astonishment, Is thy servant a dog, that he should do this great thing? Second Kings 8 verse 13 but he allowed sin to take root in his heart, and in the end he did them all. Young men, resist sin in its beginnings. They may look small and insignificant, but mind what I say, resist them, make no compromise, let no sin lodge quietly and undisturbed in your heart. The mother of mischief, says an old proverb, is no bigger than a midge's wing. There is nothing finer than the point of a needle, but when it has made a hole, it draws all the thread after it. Remember the Apostle's words, A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. 1 Corinthians 5, verse 6 Many a young man could tell you with sorrow and shame that he traces up the ruin of all his worldly prospects to the point I speak of, to giving way to sin in its beginnings. He began habits of falsehood and dishonesty in little things, and they grew upon him. Step by step, he has gone on from bad to worse, till he has done things that at one time he would have thought impossible, till at last he has lost his place, lost his character, lost his comfort, 
and well-nigh lost his soul. He allowed a gap in the wall of his conscience because it seemed a little one, and once allowed, that gap grew larger every day till at length the whole wall seemed to come down. Remember this especially in matters of truth and honesty. Make conscience of pins and syllables. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. Luke 16, verse 10. Whatever the world may please to say, there are no little sins. All great buildings are made up of little parts. The first stone is as important as any other. All habits are formed by a succession of little acts, and the first little act is of mighty consequence. The axe in the fable only begged the trees to let him have one little piece of wood to make a handle, and he would never trouble them any more. He got it, and then he soon cut them all down. The devil only wants to get the wedge of a little allowed sin into your heart, and you will soon be all his own. It is a wise saying of old William Bridge, There is nothing small betwixt us and God, for God is an infinite God. There are two ways of coming down from the top of a church steeple. One is to jump down, and the other is to come down by the steps. But both will lead you to the bottom. So also there are two ways of going to hell. One is to walk into it with your eyes open. Few people do that. The other is to go down by the steps of little sins, and that way, I fear, is only too common. Put up with a few little sins, and you will soon want a few more. Even a heathen juvenile could say, Whoever was content with only one sin, and then your course will be regularly worse and worse every year. Well did Jeremy Taylor describe the progress of sin in a man. First it startles him, then it becomes pleasing, then easy, then delightful, then frequent, then habitual, then confirmed, then the man is impenitent, then obstinate, then resolves never to repent, and then he is damned. Young men, if you would not come to this, recollect the rule I give you this day. Resolve at once to break off every known sin. For another thing, resolve by God's help to shun everything which may prove an occasion of sin. It is an excellent saying of good Bishop Hall, He that would be safe from the acts of evil must widely avoid the occasions. There is an old fable that the butterfly once asked the owl how she should deal with the fire which had singed her wings, and the owl counseled her in reply not to behold so much as its smoke. It is not enough that we determine to commit no sin. We must carefully keep at a distance from all approaches to it. By this test we ought to try our ways of spending our time. The books that we read, the families that we visit, the society into which we go, we must not content ourselves with saying, there is nothing positively wrong here. We must go further and say, is there anything here which may prove to me the occasion of sin? This, be it remembered, is one great reason why idleness is so much to be avoided. It is not that doing nothing is of itself so positively wicked. It is the opportunity it affords to evil thoughts and vain imaginations. 
it is the wide door it opens for Satan to throw in the seeds of bad things. It is this which is mainly to be feared. If David had not given occasion to the devil by idling on his housetop at Jerusalem, he would probably never have seen Bathsheba nor murdered Uriah. This, too, is one great reason why worldly amusements are so objectionable. It may be difficult, in some instances, to show that they are, in themselves, positively unscriptural and wrong. But there is little difficulty in showing that the tendency of almost all of them is most injurious to the soul. They sow the seeds of an earthly and sensual frame of mind. They war against the life of faith. They promote an unhealthy and unnatural craving after excitement. They minister to the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eye and the pride of life. They dim the views of heaven and eternity and give a false color to the things of time. They indispose the heart for private prayer and scripture reading and calm communion with God. The man who mingles in them is like one who gives Satan vantage ground. He has a battle to fight and he gives his enemy the help of sun and wind and hill. It would be strange indeed if he did not find himself continually overcome. Young men, endeavor as much as in you lies to keep clear of everything which may prove injurious to your soul. Never hold a candle to the devil. People may say you are over-scrupulous, too particular. Where is the mighty harm of such and such things? But heed them not. It is dangerous to play tricks with edged tools. It is far more dangerous to take liberties with your immortal soul. He that would be safe must not come near the brink of danger. He must look on his heart as a magazine of gunpowder and be cautious not to handle one spark of temptation more than he can help. Where is the use of your praying? Lead us not into temptation unless you are yourselves careful not to run into it and deliver us from evil unless you show a desire to keep out of its way. Take example from Joseph. Not merely did he refuse his mistress's solicitation to sin, but he showed his prudence in refusing to be with her at all. Genesis 39 verse 10. Lay to heart the advice of Solomon, not merely to go not in the path of wickedness, but to avoid it, pass not by it, turn from it, and pass away. Proverbs 4, verse 15. Not merely not to be drunken, but not even to look upon the wine when it is red. Proverbs 23, verse 31. The man who took the vow of a Nazarite in Israel not only took no wine, but he even abstained from grapes in any shape whatever. Abhor that which is evil, says Paul to the Romans. Romans 12, verse 9. Not merely do not do it, Flee youthful lusts, he writes to Timothy. Get away from them as far as possible. 2 Timothy 2, verse 22. Alas, how needful are such cautions! Dinah must needs go out among the wicked Shechemites to see their ways, and she lost her character. Lot must needs pitch his tent near sinful Sodom, and he lost everything but his life. Young men, be wise in time. Do not be always trying how near you can allow the enemy of your souls to come and yet escape him. Hold him at arm's length. Try to keep clear of temptation as far as possible, and this will be one great help to keep clear of sin. For another thing, 
resolve never to forget the eye of God. The eye of God. Think of that. Everywhere, in every house, in every field, in every room, in every company, alone or in a crowd, the eye of God is always upon you. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. Proverbs 15, verse 3. And they are eyes that read hearts as well as actions. Endeavor, I beseech you all, to realize this fact. Recollect that you have to do with an all-seeing God, a God who never slumbereth nor sleepeth, a God who understands your thoughts afar off and with whom the night shines as the day. You may leave your father's roof and go away, like the prodigal, into a far country, and think that there is nobody to watch your conduct. But the eye and ear of God are there before you. You may deceive your parents or employers, you may tell them falsehoods and be one thing before their faces and another behind their backs, but you cannot deceive God. He knows you through and through. He heard what you said as you came here today. He knows what you are thinking of at this minute. He has set your most secret sins in the light of his countenance, and they will one day come out before the world to your shame, except you take heed. How little is this really felt? How many things are done continually which men would never do if they thought they were seen? How many matters are transacted in the chambers of imagination, which would never bear the light of day? Yes, men entertain thoughts in the private and say words in private and do acts in private which they would be ashamed and blush to have exposed before the world. The sound of a footstep coming has stopped many a deed of wickedness. A knock at the door has caused many an evil work to be hastily suspended and hurriedly laid aside. But oh, what miserable, driveling folly is all this! There is an all-seeing witness with us wherever we go. Lock the door, draw down the blind, shut the shutters, put out the candle. It matters not. It makes no difference. God is everywhere. You cannot shut him out or prevent his seeing. All things are naked and open under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Hebrews 4 verse 13 well did young Joseph understand this when his mistress tempted him. There was no one in the house to see them, no human eye to witness against him. But Joseph was one who lived as seeing him that is invisible. How can I do this great wickedness, said he, and sin against God? Genesis 39, verse 9. Young men, I ask you to all read Psalm 139. I advise you all to learn it by heart. Make it the test of all your dealings in this world's business. Say to yourself often, Do I remember that God sees me? Live as in the sight of God. This is what Abraham did. He walked before him. This is what Enoch did. He walked with him. This is what heaven itself will be, the eternal presence of God. Do nothing you would not like God to see. Say nothing you would not like God to hear. Write nothing you would not like God to read. Go to no place where you would not like God to find you. Read no book of which you would not like God to say, Show it me. Never spend your time in such a way that you would not like to have God say, What art thou doing? 
For another thing, be diligent in the use of all public means of grace. Be regular in going to the house of God whenever it is open for prayer and preaching, and it is in your power to attend. Be regular in keeping the Lord's day holy and determine that God's day out of the seven shall henceforth always be given to its rightful owner. I would not leave any false impression on your minds. Do not go away and say I told you that keeping your church made up the whole of religion. I tell you no such thing. I have no wish to see you grow up formalists and Pharisees. If you think the mere carrying your body to a certain house at certain times on certain day in the week will make you a Christian and prepare you to meet God, I tell you flatly you are miserably deceived. All services without heart service are unprofitable and vain. They only are true worshipers who worship God in spirit and in truth. The Father seeketh such to worship Him. John 4, verse 23. But means of grace are not to be despised because they are not saviors. Gold is not food. You cannot eat it, but you would not therefore say it is useless and throw it away. Your soul's eternal well-doing most certainly does not depend on means of grace but it is no less certain that without them, as a general rule, your soul will not do well. God might take all who are saved to heaven in a chariot of fire, as he did Elijah, but he does not do so. He might teach them all by visions and dreams and miraculous interpositions without requiring them to read or think for themselves, but he does not do so. And why not? Because he is a God that works by means, and it is his law and will that in all man's dealings with him means shall be used. None but a fool or enthusiast would think of building a house without ladders and scaffolding. And just so no wise man will despise means. I dwell the more on this point, because Satan will try hard to fill your minds with arguments against means. He will draw your attention to the numbers of persons who use them and are no better for the using. See there, he will whisper, do you not observe those who go to church are no better than those who stay away? But do not let this move you. It is never fair to argue against a thing because it is improperly used. It does not follow that means of grace can do no good because many attend on them and get no good from them. Medicine is not to be despised because many take it and do not recover their health. No man would think of giving up eating and drinking because others choose to eat and drink improperly and so make themselves ill. The value of means of grace, like other things, depends in a great measure on the manner and spirit in which we use them. I dwell on this point, too, because of the strong anxiety I feel that every young man should regularly hear the preaching of Christ's gospel. I cannot tell you how important I think this is. By God's blessing, the ministry of the gospel might be the means of converting your soul, of leading you to a saving knowledge of Christ, of making you a child of God in deed and in truth. This would be cause for eternal thankfulness indeed. This would be an event over which angels would rejoice. But even if this were not the case, there is a restraining power and influence in the ministry of the gospel, under which I earnestly desire every young man to be brought. There are thousands whom it keeps back from evil, though it has not yet turned them unto God. It has made them far better members of society, though it has not yet made them true Christians. 
there is a certain kind of mysterious power in the faithful preaching of the gospel which tells insensibly on multitudes who listen to it without receiving it into their hearts to hear sin cried down and holiness cried up to hear christ exalted and the works of the devil denounced to hear the kingdom of heaven and its blessedness described and the world and its emptiness exposed to hear this week after week sunday after sunday is seldom without good effect to the soul it makes it far harder afterwards to run into any excess of riot and profligacy it acts as a wholesome check upon a man's heart this i believe is one way in which that promise of god is made good my word shall not return unto me void isaiah 55 verse 11 there is much truth in that strong saying of whitefield the gospel keeps many a one from the gal and gallows if it does not keep him from hell let me here name another point which is closely connected with this subject let nothing ever tempt you to become a sabbath breaker i press this on your attention make conscience of giving all your sabbath to god a spirit of disregard for this holy day is growing up amongst us with fearful rapidity and not least among young men sunday traveling by railways and steamboats sunday visiting sunday excursions are becoming every year more common than they were and are doing infinite harm to souls young men be jealous on this point whether you live in town or country take up a decided line resolve not to profane your sabbath let not the plausible argument of needful relaxation for your body let not the example of all around you let not the invitation of companions with whom you may be thrown let none of these things move you to depart from this settled rule that god's day shall be given to god once give over caring for the sabbath and in the end you will give over caring for your soul the steps which lead to this conclusion are easy and regular begin with not honoring god's day and you will soon not honor god's house cease to honor god's house and you will soon cease to honor god's book cease to honor god's book and by and by you will give god no honor at all let a man lay the foundation of having no sabbath and i am never surprised if he finishes with the top stone of no god it is a remarkable saying of judge hale of all the people who were convicted of capital crimes while he was on the bench he found only a few who would not confess on inquiry that they began their career of wickedness by a neglect of the sabbath young men you may be thrown among companions who forget the honor of the lord's day but resolve by god's help that you will always remember to keep it holy honor it by a regular attendance at some place where the gospel is preached settle down under a faithful ministry and once settled let your place in church never be empty believe me you will find a special blessing following you if you call the sabbath a delight the holy of the lord honorable and shalt honor him not doing thine own ways nor finding thine own pleasure nor speaking thine own words then shalt thou delight thyself in the lord and i will cause thee to ride upon the high places of the earth isaiah 58 verses 13 and 14 and one thing is very certain your feelings about the sabbath will always be a test and criterion of your fitness for heaven sabbaths are a foretaste and fragment of heaven the man who finds them a burden and not a privilege 
may be sure that his heart stands in need of a mighty change. For another thing, resolve that wherever you are, you will pray. Prayer is the life breath of a man's soul. Without it, we may have a name to live and be counted Christians, but we are dead in the sight of God. The feeling that we must cry to God for mercy and peace is a mark of grace, and the habit of spreading before Him our soul's wants is an evidence that we have the spirit of adoption. And prayer is the appointed way to obtain the relief of our spiritual necessities. It opens the treasury and sets the fountain flowing. If we have not, it is because we ask not. Prayer is the way to procure the outpouring of the Spirit upon our hearts. Jesus has promised the Holy Ghost, the Comforter. He is ready to come down with all His precious gifts, renewing, sanctifying, purifying, strengthening, cheering, encouraging, enlightening, teaching, directing, guiding into all truth. But then He waits to be entreated. And here it is, I say it with sorrow, here it is that men fall short so miserably. Few indeed are to be found who pray. Many who go down on their knees and say a form perhaps, but few who pray. Few who cry unto God, few who call upon the Lord, few who seek as if they wanted to find, few who knock as if they hungered and thirsted, few who wrestle, few who strive with God earnestly for an answer, few who give Him no rest, few who continue in prayer, few who watch unto prayer, few who pray always without ceasing and faint not. Yes, few pray. It is just one of the things assumed as a matter of course, but seldom practiced. A thing which is everybody's business, but in fact hardly anybody performs. Young men, believe me, if your soul is to be saved, you must pray. God has no dumb children. If you are to resist the world, the flesh, and the devil, you must pray. It is in vain to look for strength in the hour of trial if it has not been sought for. You may be thrown with those who never do it. You may have to sleep in the same room with someone who never asks anything of God. Still, mark my words, you must pray. I can quite believe you find great difficulties about it, difficulties about opportunities and seasons and places. I dare not lay down two positive rules on such points as these. I leave them to your own conscience. You must be guided by circumstances. Our Lord Jesus Christ prayed on a mountain. Isaac prayed in the fields. Hezekiah turned his face to the wall as he lay upon his bed. Daniel prayed by the riverside. Peter the Apostle on the housetop. I have heard of young men praying in stables and haylofts. All that I contend for is this. You must know what it is to enter into your closet. Matthew 6, verse 6. There must be stated times when you must speak to God face to face. You must every day have your season for prayer. You must pray. Without this, all advice and counsel is useless. This is that piece of spiritual armor which Paul names last in his catalog, in Ephesians chapter 6. But it is in truth first in value and importance. This is that meat which you must daily eat if you would travel safely through the wilderness of this life. It is only in the strength of this that you will get onward towards the mount of God. I have heard it said that the needle grinders of Sheffield sometimes wear a magnetic mouthpiece at their work which catches all the fine dust that flies around them. 
prevents it entering their lungs, and so saves their lives. Prayer is the mouthpiece that you must wear continually, or else you will never work on uninjured by the unhealthy atmosphere of this sinful world. You must pray. Young men, be sure no time is so well spent as that which a man spends upon his knees. Make time for this, whatever your employment may be. Think of David, king of Israel. What does he say? Evening and morning and at noon will I pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. Psalm 55 verse 17. Think of Daniel. He had all the business of a kingdom on his hands, yet he prayed three times a day. See there the secret of his safety in wicked Babylon. Think of Solomon. He begins his reign with prayer for help and assistance, and hence his wonderful prosperity. Think of Nehemiah. He could find time to pray to the God of heaven, even when standing in the presence of his master, Artaxerxes. Think of the example these godly men have left you, and go and do likewise. Oh, that the Lord may give you all the spirit of grace and supplication. Wilt thou not from this time cry unto God, My Father, thou art the guide of my youth. Jeremiah 3, verse 4. Gladly would I consent that all this address should be forgotten if only this doctrine of the importance of prayer might be impressed on your hearts. And now I hasten towards a conclusion. I have said things that many perhaps will not like and not receive, but I appeal to your consciences. Are they not true? Young men, you have all consciences. Corrupt and ruined by the fall as we are, each of us has a conscience. In a corner of each heart there sits a witness for God, a witness who condemns when we do wrong and approves when we do right. To that witness I make my appeal this day. Are not the things that I have been saying true? Go then, young men, and resolve this day to remember your Creator in the days of your youth. Before the day of grace is past, before your conscience has become hardened by age and deadened by repeated trampling underfoot, while you have strength and time and opportunities, go and join yourself to the Lord in an everlasting covenant not to be forgotten. The Spirit will not always strive, the voice of conscience will become feebler and fainter every year you continue to resist it. The Athenians said to Paul, We will hear thee again of this matter. But they had heard him for the last time. Acts 17 verse 32 Make haste and delay not. Linger and hesitate no more. Think of the unspeakable comfort you will give to parents, relations, and friends if you take my counsel. They have expended time, money, and health to rear you and make you what you are. Surely they deserve some consideration at your hands. Who can reckon up the joy and gladness which young people have it in their power to occasion? Who can tell the anxiety and sorrow that sons like Esau and Hophni and Phinehas and Absalom may cause? Truly, indeed, does Solomon say, A wise son maketh a glad father but a foolish son is the heaviness of his mother. Proverbs 10, verse 1. Oh, consider these things, and give God your heart. Let it not be said of you at last, as it is of many, that your youth was a blunder, your manhood a struggle, and your old age a regret. 
think of the good you may be the instruments of doing to the world. Almost all the most eminent saints of God sought the Lord early. Moses, Samuel, David, Daniel, all served God from their youth. God seems to delight in putting special honor upon young servants. Remember the honor he placed upon our own young king, Edward VI. And what might we not confidently expect if young men in our own day would consecrate the springtime of their lives to God? Agents are wanted now in almost every great and good cause, and cannot be found. Machinery of every kind of spreading truth exists, but there are not hands to work it. Money is more easily got for doing good than men. Ministers are wanted for new churches, missionaries are wanted for new stations, visitors are wanted for neglected districts, teachers are wanted for new schools. Many a good cause is standing still merely for want of agents. The supply of godly, faithful, trustworthy men for posts like those I have named is far below the demand. Young men of the present day, you are wanted for God. This is peculiarly an age of activity. We are shaking off some of our past selfishness. Men no longer sleep the sleep of apathy and indifference about others as their forefathers did. They are beginning to be ashamed of thinking like Cain. Am I my brother's keeper? A wide field of usefulness is open before you if you are only willing to enter upon it. The harvest is great and the laborers are few. Be zealous of good works. Come, come to the help of the Lord against the mighty. The Church of England Young Men's Society for Aiding Missions at Home and Abroad and the Young Men's Christian Association in London deserve the support of all true Christians. It is one of the few cheering signs in an evil day that such institutions have been formed. I rejoice to see that kindred societies have been established at other places. I trust that God will abundantly bless them. This is, in some sort, to be like God, not only good, but doing good. Psalm 119, verse 68. This is the way to follow the steps of your Lord and Savior. He went about doing good. Acts 10, verse 38. This is to live as David did. He served his own generation. Acts 13, verse 36. And who can doubt that this is the path which most becomes an immortal soul? Who would not rather leave this world like Josiah, lamented by all, than depart like Jehoram without being desired? Second Chronicles 21, verse 20. Whether is it better to be an idle, frivolous, useless cumberer of the ground to live for your body, your selfishness, your lusts, and your pride, or to spend and be spent in the glorious cause for usefulness to your fellow men, to be like Wilberforce or Lord Shaftesbury, a blessing to your country and the world, to be like Howard, the friend of the prisoner and the captive, to be like Schwartz, the spiritual father of hundreds of immortal souls in heathen lands, to be like the man of God, Robert Machane, a burning and shining light, an epistle of Christ, known and read of all men, the quickener of every Christian heart that comes across your path. Or, oh, who can doubt? Who can for one moment doubt? Young men, consider your responsibilities. Think of the privilege and luxury of doing good. Resolve this day to be useful. At once, give your hearts to Christ.
Think lastly of the happiness that will come to your own soul if you serve God. Happiness by the way as you travel through life, and happiness in the end when the journey is over. Believe me, whatever vain notions you may have heard, believe me, there is a reward for the righteous even in this world. Godliness has indeed the promise of this life as well as of that which is to come. There is a solid peace in feeling that God is your friend. There is a real satisfaction in knowing that however great your unworthiness, you are complete in Christ, that you have an enduring portion, that you have chosen that good part which shall not be taken from you. The backslider in heart may well be filled with his own ways, but a good man shall be satisfied from himself. Proverbs 14, verse 14. The path of the worldly man grows darker and darker every year that he lives. The path of the Christian is as a shining light, brighter and brighter to the very end. His sun is just rising when the sun of the worldly is setting forever. His best things are all beginning to blossom and bloom forever, when those of the worldly are all slipping out of his hands and passing away. Young men, these things are true. Suffer the word of exhortation. Be persuaded. Take up the cross. Follow Christ. Yield yourselves unto God. End of section 19b. Recording by Tim Cote of Santa Maria, California, June 26, 2014.